0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Christy Coleman is an African-American woman and the CEO of the American Civil War Museum in Richmond, Virginia. Now, at any time in American history, that would be a remarkable statement, and there would be all kinds of remarkable dynamics that would surround that person and that museum. But this is 2019, and think of all the ways that we are being reminded of this history of awfulness around race in America, the struggle that we still have to achieve equality and justice. Christy Coleman will be in town on Thursday for the 50th anniversary of American Black Journal, a show that I host on Detroit Public Television. And she joins us now to talk about her role and the times we live in. Christy Coleman, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: So uh, talk about how you view your position as the African-American director of a place like the Civil War Museum. I didn't mention in the open, but uh, Richmond, Virginia, of course, was the home of the Confederacy. I would imagine that there are all kinds of remarkable dynamics that surround that truth.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I came into this role from Detroit uh, in twenty. uh, 2008. And um, having grown up in Virginia, I absolutely understood the dynamics coming into the job, but I frankly didn't have an idea of just how, uh, how interesting and how, um, how people are kind of wedded to a narrative that actually was false. And so from the from day 1 of coming into this role the key thing was reclaiming a narrative reclaiming what really happened and all of the players that are involved so you know, so the fact that I am an African-American woman coming into this seat absolutely with me came a whole series of new questions and new understanding and reaching out to scholars to say, this story is much richer. And in Virginia, it absolutely needs to understand the full breadth of it. Um, this, this city on the eve of the American Civil War was the second largest interstate slave trading port. This city was one of the most diverse in terms of its economy. This city had um, free black Americans and Native Americans that were a part of its experience, as well as many others, and so a very large Jewish population. So the, the idea that the Civil War was simply a north or south, or a black versus white, is really incorrect and incomplete. Mm. And so that's the point that we had to start from. Uh, so when I first arrived, the, the, the mission was to tell the whole story of the conflict that still shapes our lives from Union, Confederate, and African-American perspectives. The challenge with that previous mission was that it, it created sort of an equivalency that didn't need to be there that way. What we needed to have was a narrative that, it, that was complete of all the players all the time. And what I mean by that is not every Northerner... We also, you know, we know not every Northerner entered into this conflict or thought about this conflict as an opportunity to free slaves. Subsequently, every Southerner was not um, a Confederate. Mm. You know, that there were. You know, Southern Unionists who were in deep pockets, and, and we rarely, if ever, hear anything or see anything on the landscape that addresses the fact that you had such a large swath of Confeder- of, of Unionists within the South, so much so that this, this Confederacy actually itself has uh, two secessions, right? You know, we get the creation of West Virginia, and we also have this little quirky town uh, in Mississippi, in Jones County, Mississippi, which is a very large uh, area. And there were other pockets. Uh, in In Tennessee and kentucky and and so forth, so you know this is this this simplicity is a disservice to not only the past but it's a disservice to our usability of understanding what this war was really about, and that's what our institution does
0: and so talk about how that role is now maybe being changed by the immediate context uh, the 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 things that we have seen happen right there in Richmond. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the last couple of years, the current controversy in Virginia over blackface and whether the governor mm-hmm. and attorney general should resign because they've admitted to to painting their faces black in jest when they were in, in college. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, as you try to tell this story more accurately, uh, it seems we're reminded over and over again of the power of the imagery that emerges from that era and all of those feelings that people have about it
1: absolutely and when you are actually honest about it you can no longer think that these things are harmless you know i've said it multiple times blackface is a form of cultural terrorism um it's very real and and you know black bodies that have been exploited and used for for generations um, the reality is, you know, it's it's just as harmful those images that were deliberate. By the way, I mean to to mock and and to jest um, about black culture and black life at the same time that you are brutalizing it is a is a, a really perverse thing. And and what's striking is that, um, you know, we see that it is a situation that people. You know, this idea that it's, it's perfectly harmless, it's, it's only harmless if you cannot see the damage that it did in, in, in creating uh, a false notion of who and what black people are. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's a lot happening in our state right now, um, but we also need to understand that, that the history of blackface is actually a national phenomena at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't just something that was happening in the South. It just so happened that a Southerner got caught with it this time, (laughs) a Virginian specifically. But um, the reality is this is an art form that actually started in New York City Mm -hmm. and spread throughout the country uh, as a form of entertainment for white people, most of whom never even saw a black person. So this becomes the first image in popular entertainment that people think about. And if we think about the modern motion picture, right, The first major modern motion picture is the jazz singer with Al Jolson, who does what? Puts on blackface.
0: Puts blackface on, sure.
1: You see what I'm saying? And so it's it's just an extraordinary thing. And so, yes, I think our institution is certainly at the nexus of this conversation. Um, I think that we have also uh, spent a considerable amount of time over the years really digging in and working with this community so that, Frankly, the outrage, I think, is a reflection of people's increased sensitivity and knowledge and expectation around a more honest reckoning with the past, at least here in Richmond-specific, um, and I would say for Virginia as a whole. And so, but, the, you know, there's there is always this sort of, um, you know, in, in terms of popular life, there's always this push and pull that we see um, both in social life as well as in political life, where there's this, you know, rapid expansion of sort of progressive ideas around who should be included and who's not. And it, it expands so much, and then there are those forces that can track them back and try desperately to reduce it, you know, try desperately to roll back any progress, um, social or, or political progress. We see that cycle happening over and over again. We saw it before the American Civil War, we saw it after, we've Mm. certainly seen it in the last 50 years of our nation's history, and and it is a continuing arc. But I agree, again, I say, you know, we can't, we absolutely can't get right with each other until we get the history right. Mm. And that means coming face to face with some ugly truths, um, some inconvenient things, um, but mostly it's about dealing with the lies we've told each other just to try to, quote, get along.
0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Christy Coleman, CEO of the American Civil War Museum in Richmond, Virginia. She will be the featured speaker at American Black Journal's 50th anniversary celebration Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Garden Theater in Detroit. So, So talk about the museum, what's in the museum, and the ways in which you think— uh, that helps us understand uh, what the truth was and be able to deal with the things that we're seeing, uh, whether it's the, the the neo-Nazi march in Richmond or blackface in Richmond, to, to, to think those things through in a different way.
1: Right. So the museum, the American Civil War Museum, we operate three locations. Um, one is the President's House, um, also referred to as the White House of the Confederacy. That building um, that household, actually is celebrated two hundred years, and it actually served longer as the Freedmen's Bureau and the headquarters for the Union <laughs> Army than it ever did as the um, as the uh, White House of the Confederacy <laughs> right. right so you know that's one of the things that we're addressing as well since that is now a part of our our um, our institution. We have an, an exhibition and a program out at our Appomattox location that really focuses on the impact of this war and its aftermath on more rural communities. Uh, and what you know, so-called the reconciliation among white people meant was the elimination of black folk from the narrative, whether that elimination was the war wasn't about slavery or that blacks weren't responsible for their own freedom right? So we address those kinds of issues. And then our flagship institution is here in Richmond, is the, um, at the, our historic Tredegar campus, which is where we will be opening our new facility May 4th. And the, the flagship ex- exhibition there is called A People's Contest, Struggles for Nation and Freedom in Civil War America. And this exhibit, right out of the gate, introduces the, all the varying players. And the fact that this was a chaotic, deadly, bloody, and there was no separation between the social, the military, and the political. They all influenced each other. They all influenced decisions. They all impacted people around the country and even into the Western uh, territories of the nation. Um, this This likely will be among the first exhibitions that actually look at the role that Native Americans play so, for example, the Cherokee um, in, in their decision to, <clears throat> to align with the Confederacy because they were slave traders um, versus the, the Sioux who were fighting with the federal armies over, excuse me, over territories in the Dakotas uh, along with the, the Creek and other Native groups who decided to align because they were opposed to slavery and expansionism. Then we deal with African Americans themselves, who we never talk about the million-plus people who seize the opportunity to escape um, during the chaos of the war, form new um, communities of their own. Men that go off to fight over 200,000 African American men will don the uniform and fight. Um, you know, It's just um, Mexican Americans, Mexico You know, having abolished slavery in the eight, early 1830s, you know, says, listen, if runaways get to us, we're going to give them not only make sure that they're free, but we're also going to make sure that they have land and protection. And this was a real problem for for Texas and for Arkansas. And so the point is this becomes a much fuller national crisis Hmm. and opportunity for what freedom is going to mean. And so the new exhibit really delves into that in some really evocative ways. So, of course, there are... Um, There are films, and there are stunning artifacts, many of which have not been seen, uh, that are part of our collection, that have not been seen in in a generation. Um, There are, um, really, we have designed it to be uh, emotionally evocative, and what I mean by that is we actually uh, have done something called emotional mapping of the exhibit, so we are keenly aware of places where we are going to create upset, Mm. and it is deliberate. Um, And you know, so that people can really, again, understand the chaos and the crisis and feel in the moment so that nothing is inevitable with the Civil War, because it wasn't. People didn't live it that way. So all of that is, is what one will experience when they come here. Um, and then we have temporary exhibitions that, that delve more deeply in one area or another. So um, we also look at those things that have sort of contemporary resonance, Um a lot of people don't know that the money that we carry in our pockets, the greenbacks, is actually a product of the American Civil War. It completely redefined um, financial policy because the United States government had not issued money like that before and given it a par value that wasn't based on gold. So we're having this whole conversation about that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just truly a remarkable experience, and I am, um, I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And um, to so, work so, with the people that I do.
0: So I wonder about pushback to, mm-hmm. to that narrative, not just in Richmond, where, as you pointed out, to begin the conversation, there is this sort of fantasy indulging that goes on about Actually the war. not anymore. You I mean, feel this like is, that's this is over. the thing.
1: That's the thing. I mean, when I've, when I first came to Richmond, but even the mere discussion about what to do with Confederate monuments here would mm-hmm. have never happened. Ten years later, this is a conversation the community initiated prior to events in Charlottesville, prior to events, in and and has been a conversation, actually, from the day many of these went up, but those voices weren't allowed to to have a voice, Mm. right? So Richmond is this place that is full of dichotomy. Um, Virginia is a place that's full of dichotomy and duality, and so to suggest that... You know, what we're doing... Let me tell you, if, if what we were doing was that problematic, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. We wow. wouldn't exist.
0: Yeah,
1: so, um, It is the desire of a community to have something that is more real and more active. And not just, you know, again, here, clearly we're based in Virginia, but this is a national organization. I mean, 70% of our visitors come from around the country. Another 10% come from um, around the world to come and learn what and, really happened here.
0: And what effect... Uh, or, or can you draw direct connections between the artifacts of the museum, the storytelling in the museum, and this, this wider acceptance now that you're talking about of the possibility of reconsidering things?
1: Um, I think it's just been an extraordinary collaboration, Um, not only our institution, but um, several of the other cultural institutions in in the community. I mean, we, I will will tell you, back in 2009, as the nation was preparing and all these conversations were taking place about the sesquicentennial of the Civil War, right? You know, the 150th anniversary of the Civil War. Well, in Richmond, we said, oh, no, it's much more than that. Seventeen organizations came together the colleges the the cultural institutions the historical societies came together and said look it's much more and we people are coming and we want them to get it right so for richmond our story was we're going to celebrate the, the we're going to celebrate and commemorate right civil war and emancipation because the first you know full scale emancipation Parades, activities, events actually happened in Richmond on April 4th, 1865, not June of 1865. This is, was a massive um, series of celebrations and recognitions that when Richmond fell, freedom was now for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's about bringing all of that breath back to a narrative that had really been tightly controlled for generations. and 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 to see that opening up enabled us to see other things about the past of this city that had been suppressed or literally buried under a parking lot. So when you have citizens and you know of, of every stripe coming together to say, "No, you're not going to build a stadium on." We just learned that this was actually one of the most active slave trading ports, and there are black bodies buried here. Did somebody put an interstate, you know, pylon on? No, we're going to figure out how to best preserve and do this. This is what the community has done, and I do, I know that our institution and others have been active in helping our, you know, again, when you are able to tell the stories, the historical truths, and get to that and share that with your community, the community itself finds that history usable and can make those decisions to move forward to a more just thing. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about.
0: Uh, I wonder what you think of the possibility for that in the current era nationally, uh, with the yeah. president that we yeah. have, with with the rise of of far right groups in particular, right. who right. who want to question the truths mm-hmm. that, that that you would put in front of them.
1: Sure, but they're not coming to my institution. Well, of course and not. that's okay. <laughs> right. They're, not, they're coming. not coming. And to the that museum. is cool. It's everybody else. <laughs> and they are not. And see, here's the thing. You know, we, you know, the the hardcore supporters, they do represent about a third, right? That's what they tell us. That's what everything is. A third. And even those who are a third of supporters would not necessarily define themselves as white supremacists, right. but, you know, right? So, But that also means that two-thirds of the population, 66%, do not agree. They're just not as vocal. They're just not getting as much media attention. And the activity of the third has become so virulent that we see it. So my, my thinking about the current status is, this is, an, you know, um, I think, uh, oh God, um, uh, Dr. Zendi, mm-hmm. Ibrahim Zendi, mm-hmm. his book. Stamped on America explains this so beautifully well. This should not have surprised anyone with all the progression that came through, especially during the Obama years. It may not have been perfect, but it was a highly progressive thing, of immigration and LGBTQ rights, and, and to some degree African-American, you know, having to work through sort of the economic issues and looking at some of these things. And yes, no perf- presidency is going to be perfect, but it was a... All things considered, it was a highly progressive presidency. The mere fact that the man was in office was a progressive move. So, of course, those who were accustomed to control and white supremacy and anger saw that progression as an assault. And they rallied themselves and they put in place someone that they thought was going to help them get it back.
0: Reclaim that.
1: Reclaim, uh, right? So it's, you know, and again, from a historical perspective that activity and behavior is not new what i think our visitors will discover as they're going through and looking at the early debates around secession and then what happens in the post reconstruction era is that they will see the some of the similar tactics at voter suppression um uh gerrymandering uh all of the techniques that were used when the Southern Democrats, uh, uh, the precursors of sort of modern Republicans, because of uh, the, the Nixon strategy, Southern strategies in the in the 60s and 70s, will see these same things playing out. In fact, you know, the first government shutdown was over a fight that these Southerners, who had managed to regain their ability to vote and serve in office, when they regain that and take back the Congress they refuse to fund the government over protections for black voters right. and so fortunately enough they didn't win that time but they would win later right mm-hmm. so it becomes this extraordinary um, error and again if our visitors are paying close attention they see these things and they also see how um, just taking it one step further, what they can do to address them. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Christy Coleman, CEO of the American Civil War Museum in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank Detroit you so Today. much for
1: having me. looking forward to being there.
0: Absolutely. Christy will be in town on Thursday again for the 50th anniversary of American Black Journal, a show that I host on Detroit Public Television. That will take place at 7 p.m. at the Garden Theater in Detroit. Up next, uh, we're going to continue talking about race and America. We'll talk with Steve Luxenberg, author of Separate, the story of Plessy v. Ferguson and America's journey from slavery to segregation. Stay with us on Detroit Today.